Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites, the official podcast of Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc. On every episode, I talk with health and wellness experts from all over the world, such as doctors, chefs, dietitians, coaches, and many more. And I sit down with them and have casual conversations about plant-based lifestyle, how to elevate our emotional resilience, and what it really means to thrive. And I bring all of this to you. So let's get to this week's episode. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites. I'm your host, Colin Zhu, and thank you for listening on. Today, I have a wonderful guest with us today. His name is Ron Pratt. Say hi to everyone, Ron. Hi, everyone. <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, coming on. Um, I am you know, very excited to have him on. Um, for those of you who do not know um, who he is, um, he is a licensed acupuncturist uh, from out of New York State, and he has a very, very full breadth and depth of traditional Chinese medicine, including acupuncture, moxie bushin, uh, gui sha, Chinese uh, herbal medicine, and he also does nutritional counseling. And he treats a full range of conditions, and um, we're very excited to have him on the show. Um, thanks, Ron, for coming in. Um, where are you calling from right now? I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. Okay, excellent, excellent. Yeah. I'm originally from New Jersey, and I have family in New York uh, right now. So, you know, definitely, uh, definitely very interesting times. You know, being you know our current uh, space right now, but. Uh, yeah, I am very excited. So to start off, I love hearing about people's stories. And that's a centerpiece of the podcast is really understanding where the guest comes from, you know, their background, their story, how to how they came to be and do what they love at this very moment. So can you share off, let's start off by saying, you know, Give us a little bit of snapshot of your story of how you came from A to B. Um, you know, I understand, you know, off of your website, you used to work as a corporate trader and then, you know, you ventured out into traditional Chinese medicine. And to me, that's kind of almost like a big 180, so to speak. So tell us, walk us through through that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I get that a lot of people are like, how'd you go from that to this? And um you know, for me, it was really a bit of a journey. There wasn't necessarily a pivotal moment where I was like, aha, I'm going to go study Chinese medicine. Um, it was more of a long-term process. And so I'll highlight a few moments in time that sort of were critical in terms of changing my trajectory. And the first big one, I was actually working as a corporate trainer on Wall Street. And um, while I love the part of my job that was about empowering people to do well at the work that they love, I didn't really feel connected at all to the industry I was working in. And I really had this dissatisfaction. I would go to work every day and I, maybe not every day, but a lot of days I would go to work and, and I was just unmotivated. And I, I often felt a bit like a fraud <laughs> and mm. I am, um, I would find myself working late just to kind of play catch up on work. And at that time I was just like, you know what? I am, I'm a, I'm, I don't have kids. I'm not responsible for somebody else. I should be able to go to work every day and love what I do. 
And I remember talking to some of my friends and one of my friends said to me, you know, work is just a transaction. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. you know, like she said, I go to work and people give me money and that's all it is. And somebody else said to me, you know, uh, work is the thing that I do so I can do other things that I love. And, And I just said, you know, that doesn't work for me either. I wanted to go to work every day and do work that I loved. Mm. And so I, I did a lot of soul searching and I, I decided, you know, I, I was pretty committed to wellness at that point. Um, and I was pretty passionate about it because of my own experience. And so um, I just decided, you know, I'm going to keep being a trainer, but I'm going to break into the wellness sector and I'm going to leave Wall Street. And so I, I wrote out this five-year plan. I said, I'm going to be a director of training at a wellness-based company in five years. And uh, so I gradually started that transition. And within three years, I was director of training at a wellness company. And and I did that for about 15 years. And I reached a point, um, you know, as a trainer, I really loved my work. But as I started to be responsible for bigger departments and, um, you know, had bigger, more global responsibility, I found myself with that same level of dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. And that was a struggle for me. And I was like, I sort of went back to that same value I had about, I, I want to, I want to enjoy my work. I want to contribute to the lives of others and I'm not doing it here. And, um, you know, working in wellness, the one thing that became really clear to me was that I, I wanted to be on the practitioner side of wellness, and I no longer wanted to be on the corporate side. And um, so I did, a, again, a lot of soul searching, and, and I specifically chose to study acupuncture because it was a form of medicine where I felt like I could integrate my background about um, empowering people to um, in all aspects of their life and also bring in my interest in wellness. And so I could really work at the level of body, mind, and emotions. And so that sort of was the beginning of my journey to study acupuncture. I'm sure anyone that's uh, listening, you know, at first glance, when they hear about it, they, um, you know, they're like, how do you go from A to B? And then when you break it down like that, you could see how, you know, that during that time, how your thought processes were, you know, bringing you from different, I don't want to say roadblocks, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but just different, um, you know, different detours, uh, sort of speak in terms of, you know, this is not really sitting right with me. This doesn't feel right at this point of time. And you tend to pivot, you know, you tend to change direction. And I think, uh, I think that's important for someone to do to take that self-reflection and just pause and, you know, just pivot. Yeah, I think, uh, I think my, probably the biggest lesson I got out of my journey was we can't think our way through things. We have to go out and experience it. And in that experience, we get more information and then we can reapply that to the next step. You know, I can think of, you know, being in high school and, and, you know, sitting down with guidance counselors and, you know, being told you're good in math and science, you know, what do you want to do? It should be something in engineering or, and, you know, I think that's such an unfair question to ask somebody in terms of like cognating your way into the way that you want to spend the rest of your life as opposed to what do you enjoy? 
how, what lights you up? What gets you excited? Go spend more time doing that. And then, and then come back to me and, and let's talk further. You know, it's just a different approach, but it's the one that works for me. Yeah. And, uh, I definitely love the work of guidance counselors. Um, but you know, if you think about it, uh, you know, we all go through school for, you know, those of us have been privileged to go through school. And, you know, I think school teaches you a set of ways to think versus, you know, things that, you know, you probably have been carrying, you know, and I'm talking about like your hopes and dreams and things like that. Whereas an educational system, you know, in my point of view and having studied a lot in terms of personal development, um, is that the educational system is meant to kind of groom you to kind of get a job, right? To be in that default mode of, you know, going through the eight to five and things like that and not really harnessing like your dreams, so to speak. And there's some, you know, people in the middle, um, whether you're lucky enough to have good teachers, professors, mentors, um, or people outside of school, whether it's like a family member or a friend to kind of give you a different set of perspectives. And, and sometimes you're, you know, you don't have that, you know, you have to go through your own experience to be able to pivot, you know, differently. So I'm glad that you've had that experience or else you wouldn't be doing what you love right now. So um, I think that's great. Yeah, so true. Um, you know, I think that we are just creatures of lifelong learning and, you know, I think part of our journey on the planet is trying to figure out like, how do we work and how do we grow? And, you know, I think my work and my practice now is so much about how do I help other people do that same work? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So relating it to where you are now in terms of, you know, acupuncture, tr traditional Chinese medicine, um, was there anything maybe from your own personal health journey or someone else's um, health journey um, that kind of contributed to that pathway as well? Yeah, I mentioned when I was telling you my story about uh, switching to wellness that I already at that point in my life had a strong interest. And part of that was um, when I was in college, uh, I was a sophomore in college, to be precise. I I developed a lot of digestive trouble. And um, I went to see my GP. And I remember at the time being really scared. I did not understand what was happening in my body. Mm. And this is despite having two nurses for parents. Um, and I remember telling him what was going on. And I was at a point where I, I welled up. I almost broke into tears in his office mm. because I just didn't understand what was happening. Mm. And he wrote me this script and sent me on my way. And I didn't leave that office with any more information about what was happening with my body. Why, why were things not going well? And so, so I, I was still scared. I took the med meds and um, it didn't change anything. And I remember um, I was actually not getting any healthier. And I remember it, like that um, it was, so it was my spring semester, sophomore year. Mm -hmm. And I was, I called my mom and I said, I'm not taking these meds anymore. They're not helping. And it was my finals week. And my mother said to me, 
do you think this is a great idea to stop doing this in the middle of your finals week? I said, yes, I'm confident this is what I should be doing. And so I actually started seeing a holistic chiropractor over that summer. Mm. And she really listened to me first and foremost. I felt like for the first time, somebody heard what I had to say. And, you know, she she gave me things to work on. She gave me, um, you know, some specific dietary changes, some specific lifestyle changes. By the time I went back to school and started my junior year, I really was at a point where I was, things were not perfect, but they were much better. I could manage things and I was no longer scared that something serious was wrong. But I also know, so she also sort of planted this seed and she said, you know, so this is um, the early nineties, by the way. So she Mm -hmm. planted this seed and she said, uh, you might have a sensitivity to gluten. And, and when you're ready, we can talk about it more. And I said, well, what would that involve? And she said, you know, probably the best way to figure this out would be to have you do an elimination diet. And I said, and what if I have an allergy to gluten or sensitivity? She's So she told me, you know, I would just need to stop eating wheat and some other grains. And I remember thinking, well, that's not going to happen right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, I continued to see her. And what I loved about working with her is is that she really let me go at my own pace. And when I graduated college, I I went to her and I said, okay, I'm ready. (laughs) Let's talk about what I need to do. And I, I did the elimination diet and it was really clear I was uh, sensitive to gluten and dairy. And so um, I cut those things out of my life. And so what I loved about working with her is one, she really listened to me, but two, she really met me where I was at and said, Mm. you know, I mean, she could have been steadfast with me. You know what? I think, I think this is a gluten problem and you need to take this on right now. Uh, And as a sophomore in college, I probably would have failed miserably at that. So she just kind of supported me and said, you know, when you're ready, let's talk. Yeah. I think that's, um, I have a, I have similar where I, I also had a, you know, a family chiropractor growing up and, um, you know, I didn't go, it was more for just wellness. And I remember them embodying like the type of caretaker I wanted to be, you know, he was charming. He was witty. He was super funny. He sang and, you know, in the office. And I just, you know, really, really was enthralled with the type of care he was giving. Um, and so I like, I, and he listened, you know, and so I, you know, I think that's what's important is that one of the best practices to medicine, no matter what type of form of of it is, is really understanding the person at the end of the day. You know, I practice, you know, osteopathic medicine, which, you know, our foundations is really looking people at, you know, the whole and really understanding the person behind the disease and the symptoms. And so, you know, my, you know, I can definitely relate in terms of, you know, it is important to listen. It is important to hear um, and understand where that person is coming through because nine times out of 10, they're already telling you what's wrong. You know, if, so if you don't, and if you don't listen, if you don't keep those ears um, going, then you won't be able to pick it up. And um, I don't know in terms from a provider, but in terms of a general audience, in terms of like where our society is in terms of modern day, you know, society, 
definitely compared to the 90s, we are, I believe, we're way more distracted. And so that gives us, um, it, it, it does, it gives us more obstacles in a way. It gives us more roadblocks in terms of listening to bridging that gap. So, and I, I, I'm like you, if, you know, if I mentor someone, whether it's like a medical student or someone, you know, similar, it's really about understanding people's stories. So, um, you know, I'm glad that you had that first kind of, you know, practitioner to be able to kind of open that gateway for you. Yeah, she changed my life. She really did. <laughs> did you call them up and be like, hey, you know, this is where I'm at now because of you? <laughs> um, so it, I grew up in Boston. And so, you know, she and I chat occasionally on Facebook. And, uh-huh. uh, um, you know, I, I don't get back there very often. Um, my parents actually no longer live in Massachusetts. And so, mm-hmm. but if I do go back there, she is somebody that I totally make time to see. She's wonderful. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Great, great, great. So let's shift gears um, a little bit. So traditional Chinese medicine um, and uh, acupuncture and all of the subsequent, you know, modalities that fall under that umbrella have been practiced for, you know, as as you know, thousands of years. Um, and uh, their way of looking at the person and way of looking at the body as a whole is very different than Western, you know, medicine. You know, and I know this having grown up with a mother that practices traditional Chinese medicine to close to four decades now. And so, I want you to share with the audience what is you know, you talk about this a lot, a lot on your you know website about you know the relationship with stress and dis-ease, you know, dis-ease with the hyphen in between. And what does that mean, you know, from a Chinese medicine perspective? And you know, what is that? How would you define that? And why is that important? So when I so I use the term dis-ease because so when you think about pain, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional. It, it all stems from this place of imbalance. And so, you know, in the classics, they say, you know, when the, the human body enjoys health, when there's a balanced lifestyle, and it succumbs to disease when there's not. And so uh, the reason why I use that term dis-ease is because I want to, because I actually want people to ask me this question, like, why is it dis-ease and not disease? Because to me, dis-ease really kind of implies that like, okay, there, there's something out of balance and therefore the body can't do what it needs, it knows to do. And so then, you know, I, I tend to think of the dis-ease as messaging in the same way that like, you know, if, if, if you're hanging out with a friend and you do something that irritates them, they might say, hey, don't do that, you know? And so there's this momentary eruption of a little bit of energy to say, hey, like this isn't working for me. And so sometimes, you know, we, we look at the body often in terms of like, 
um, when it comes to symptomology in terms of it being broken or in terms of it uh, not working properly. And I actually really like to think about it more in terms of, um, I use a lot of car analogies. I'm kind of a car guy, but Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I tell people start to think about your symptoms like dashboard lights. And so when you start to see a flare up in symptoms, take a step back and say, all right, where, where is there not balance? Where am I not, you know, uh, paying attention to things right now? Because often, you know, if we can embrace the, the symptomology as simply, you know, the body saying, Hey, I'm not getting what I need. Um, and then we can provide that and we get communication back from the body. This is, yeah, I feel better. Then we learn how to walk that, that line of balance. You know, there's another in, um, Buddhism, they talk about like the midline or the middle road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's this, this line between self-indulgence and self-mortification where there's this balance of health and this balance of living um, where people thrive. Yeah, I think, um, you know, like nature and, you know, uh, you know, mother nature. And when, if you have gone through a science course, um, a lot of things are talking about from a scientific perspective uh, or a biological perspective, um, homeostasis, you know, and when we talk about balance, that's very similar to what we're talking about. The body and its infinite complex genius is it's able to figure out how to balance itself. And I think along with what you're saying, when you do things enough, you know, whether it's eating a poor diet or living, you know, a very risky or precarious lifestyle and et cetera, et cetera, it adds to that balance um, or imbalance. And, you know, from that imbalance, it just manifests different, you know, diseases. Do you, in terms of, you know, walk us through like a typical, you know, client or patient intake, you know, um, do you also go through like a questionnaire, but also in terms of looking at, you know, the patient's uh, facial constitution, tongue, pulse diagnosis? How do you kind of intake a, a, a patient that's interested in seeing you? You know, you probably know because your mom is a practitioner in the in the world of acupuncture and Chinese medicine, we have different lineages. And so uh, I'm very much a classical guy. And the interview is really important to me. And so my first appointment with a patient, I spend two hours with them. And so we do a really comprehensive history. And, you know, in Chinese medicine, we talk about that being the 10 questions, but it's really a thorough review of systems. It's a review of history, like all the way back to childhood. Um, And then I also then do some of the traditional diagnostics like tongue and pulse. Um, And I do some important ones too, uh, range of motion. So if people are coming in for pain, you know, I want to see how do they walk across the room? Uh, Mm. But I also want to know things like, so for instance, um, I want to know, what's it like for somebody with back pain to get in and out of their car or to somebody with sciatica to sit in a chair? Cause those are ultimately the things that they're going to notice in their life. And so I, um, and the, you know, one of the other big things I want to know is um, where are people stopped in their life? And um, mm. 
because that's often the thing that brings them in. Like I, I worked with a woman recently who had really significant sciatic pain and she'd been dealing with the sciatic pain for a long time. And, you know, we went through this history and this is part of the reason why I spend time doing the history and don't just give somebody the form and say, fill this out and we'll start. Um, we went through this history and over that time we were developing um, rapport. And there was this moment where um, she broke into tears and she said, I just want to be able to have dinner sitting at the dining room table with my husband. I'm tired of having to stand at the kitchen counter because I can't sit down. Mm. That was the thing that she was ultimately going to measure the success of treatment by. And that was the thing that brought her in. Mm. And you don't know, it. it's different for everybody, but you know, that's ultimately what I want to know. Where is in your life that you're stopped? Where is it that you are no longer finding the joy that's really important to you? Because that's ultimately what we need to bring back into your life in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, um, I totally, I totally agree. It's kind of like, it's kind of, I like, um, you know, for you, you do car analogies. I like to use, you know, um, navigational analogies. So, you know, when I, when I have someone come in and, you know, you, you talk about diet and lifestyle and, you know, the whole gamut, um, you know, lifestyle related, um, you know, perspectives in terms of counseling, my biggest thing is, you know, what makes them them, you know, and, you know, what is their kind of directional compass, you know, where are they going in life? And, um, you know, I tell them, Hey, you could eat the best diet, you could live the best lifestyle, but if you don't really understand the why behind you and why, you know, you are quote unquote suffering today, we don't have a clear direction of how we want to take it. You know what I'm saying? So, and I think that's similar to your patient's account is where they, they understand why they just want to, for some people, they just want to get up and get to the next day, you know, for others there, it's more of a deeper existential, you know, pull for them to keep going or to get to the next step or get to the next level. So I think that's very super important. And, um, I could see how a two hour history intake could be very, be adequate in terms of getting that because it's hard, you know, especially for me practicing primary care, it's hard given the time parameters and restraints to be able to extract that from a visit. Yeah. I think it's one of the greatest luxuries I have um, is that I have the, the ability to do that. And, you know, it's interesting because sometimes people when I tell them on the phone, this is what we're going to do. And it's, it's two hours in terms of history, diagnostics and treatment. Um, and, you know, some of the people that give me the most pushback will then say to me, wow, this has been really helpful. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's, it's interesting, but, you know, uh, you mentioned that we have so many distractions. We have so many, you know, we live in a fast paced world. We're thrown messages all day long. Um, but we tend to pay a lot more attention to the external messages. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we're not paying any attention to the internal messages. And that, mm -hmm. that time where we take the history for some people is as much about me connecting with their story as it is with them getting reconnected with the things that are important to them and the things that aren't working. 
Definitely, definitely. Because, you know, as we know, especially in Chinese medicine, especially, you know, for us as osteopaths, you know, the mental, emotional, and physical, they're all interconnected. So sometimes a certain stress, high level of stress could be just enough to manifest, you know, just physical symptoms and not have a direct, not a clear, you know, obvious direct, um, you know, uh, correlation. So, so it's important. And I'm glad that you have that luxury. <laughs> I wish I had that, you know, in terms of the regular primary world. So, so shifting gears a little bit in terms of where you're at now, in terms of how you're practicing, how do you feel that it fits within our modern healthcare, you know, um, given, you know, what we know about, you know, modern healthcare and its limitations, you know, we're very good in terms of technologies, you know, breaking out, you know, new advances in um, maybe cancer treatments and in, you know, procedures, surgeries, you know, we're doing robotics now, but there's a lot of limitations in terms of, you know, people are not getting good enough prevention or education or just basics in terms of just lifestyle. Um, you know, doctors aren't trained. I, I talk, I talk a lot of, about this on my previous episodes is where, uh, medical students are not given enough training, um, you know, and so on and so forth. So how does TCM or traditional Chinese medicine, um, fit into modern healthcare right now? Yeah. I love the way that you frame the question specifically because I know both in, in among TCM practitioners as well as among um, Western medical practitioners, for lack of a better description, right now, um, we see a lot of framing as either or, and uh, and I think that that dichotomy that we create is really limiting because I think that we both bring a lot to the table, and I think it's also really hard for the patient when you know even in China, you know people are you know, they go to the hospital and they, and they can choose the traditional wing or the modern wing. And, mm. and, you know, we have the same thing in a slightly different format in the U S. So where do I think Chinese medicine and traditional medicine in general can add value? I think in the, you know, lifestyle medicine is, is, is this growing branch of medicine. And when you look at the classic texts, you know, this, some of the first chapters are all just lifestyle medicine. And um, I recently was listening to a medical doctor speak and he said that 78% of all chronic illness is caused or exacerbated by lifestyle problems. And so I think Chinese medicine has its greatest contribution in helping people really um, live healthier lifestyles so that ultimately we don't get sick. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that's how we use it, but I think that's where the greatest potential is. You know, there's um, so many Chinese proverbs that are things like, you know, waiting to dig a well, um, waiting until you're thirsty to dig a well is the equivalent of going to see a doctor when you're sick. <laughs> and, um, you know, as you said, like there's so much we can do in the realm of education. Um, but I also think sometimes just like in my story, like I didn't understand what was happening with my body and there was no one that could talk to me about that or there was no one that would, that was making the time to, 
And so helping people really understand the wisdom of their body and how to use that information. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with you um, that often patients know where, where they need to start to focus on. We need to give them permission to listen to that. And some mm -hmm. of that comes from helping them really cultivate that that wisdom and that sense of like, yes, I can trust my body. I can trust that this information I'm getting from my body isn't helpful. Do you feel, um, do you feel that, and I like that, by the way, giving permission because, uh, you know, I didn't really think of it like that. So that's, you know, that's very interesting for you to say that, but is it as much as giving permission as it, as it is per, uh, as it is in terms of how people, are conditioned or oriented to kind of think, you know, to, especially in an American society and Western medicine society where, you know, you just rely on the symptoms, right? So, and we are so ingrained in the symptoms being a certain type of medical language that a physician can only decipher. So when you talk about that, you know, the body cues and, and people understanding to learn about themselves better, do you, offer them or teach them or help educate them in terms of how to do that better in terms of listening and honing in um, on, on those signals? Absolutely. I mean, uh, so, uh, you know, when I start working with a patient, we talk about four lifestyle medicine pillars. Um, and then I have them go and track around those. And so then, um, so we will, I have them track, um, things like what is their water intake look like? What is, what is their nutrition look like? How much are they moving? How are they, how is their sleep? And we do that for a week. And then we go back and we, we really look at those four pillars, but really, um, you know, what I'm doing is I'm, teaching people to to start to really pay attention to what's the messaging from their body um and we it, you know everybody is at a different place on that spectrum i always get questions like um what's the right diet um how much sleep is enough um you know how much water is enough and i always sort of answer it in the same way which is what is your body telling you? So are you, you know, with sleep, for instance, are you waking rested um, with water? You know, uh, what are you noticing as you increase the amount of water? Are you noticing a decrease in symptomology? Um, and, you know, with nutrition, how is your energy level? And so helping, so when I ask those questions, I'm slowly introducing them to the things to look for in their own health. The other thing that, so I track for various, I have patients track and, and I don't believe that people should track 365 days a year, but I do think there's an incredible value in tracking. Mm. Um, I, I heard recently that uh, human beings, about 50% of what they remember is accurate. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. it, and you know, I'm, I'm no better than anyone else in this regard. Just last month, I was like, I, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm waking really groggy. And I was mm -hmm. like, I don't know if it's the stress of the pandemic or, or what, but you know, I'm, I'm a pretty active person. I, I cycle, I hike. And, 
um, I do yoga. And so I wasn't doing as much activity as normal. And so I'm like, I don't know why I'm tired. So I started tracking my sleep and I was like, this is why I'm tired. I, I know my optimum level of sleep is about seven and a half hours and I was sleeping only six and a half, but I was telling myself a different story. And so the value of tracking is it creates transparency. Um, and it, because we're optimistic as human beings and in, as a result of that, sometimes we tell ourselves a slightly different story. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. I think it's important to have those reminders and those, those reinforcements in terms of, you know what, our bodies you know, is a very complex machinery, um, but it's very, very intuitive. And I think it's reminding ourselves, and it goes back to my point about modern society is that, you know, now we're just way bombarded and overly distracted. And that kind of takes away from really trusting, you know, yourself in a way and trusting your body cues. So it's, uh, you know, super important to kind of remind ourselves and reinforce that. So I would, I would love to ask this question in terms of, you know, when people come to you, you know, what are some, what are the biggest misconceptions that they have about their health um, that you've kind of observed over time from your, from your background's perspective? Uh, One thing that, you know, patients will often say things to me, like, I was broken, you fixed me. (laughs) And Mm. And I'm always like, no, you're not broken. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another one, you know, patients will talk pretty negatively about yourself. And I'll say things like, you're not allowed to talk about my patient that way. Um, So I think a lot of the misconceptions are that I'm broken and I can't heal. Um, You know, I'm, I'm, I need to rely on something external to create that healing. Um, And, you know, I think, I think a lot of people have a misconception of what it means to thrive. Mm -hmm. Even I I recently had my annual physical, I said something, um, I don't remember what it was, but my general practitioner said, Oh, welcome. You know, I'm, in my late forties. So he said, welcome to your late forties. And, and I was like, no, I'm not going to accept that. <laughs> um, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was sort of just, um, I might've said, he might've said, Oh, how are you doing? And I said, Oh, I could probably use a little bit more energy other, other than that. I'm fine. But I also knew at that moment in time, I wasn't, um, cycling as much as I normally do. And I wasn't doing some of the things that I normally do that, help me have more energy. Um, but it was interesting. I think this idea that I, as we get older, <laughs> illness sets in in some capacity um, and everything gets worse. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't want to buy into that, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a big fan of the blue zones research. And, you know, mm-hmm. recently I was reading a story about the guy who's 104 and still chopping his own wood. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, that's the story <laughs> I want to buy into. And that's the story I want my patients to buy into. Um, but I think 
you know, if I were to sort of pull back and really look at like the things that patients will often tell me, it's um, this idea that I'm broken, I have to accept this, I have to figure out how to get by with this. And yeah, there are certain times that that's the case, you know, but um, then there are other times that I think that the human body has an amazing ability to heal if we give it what it needs to do that. Oh, yeah. I, um, I'm a big fan of the blue zones itself. And I think what you're saying about the 104 is really about you would rather buy or subscribe to the notion that, you know, our bodies have a unlimited potential. You know, it's not really limited by what modern society teaches us or conditions us to think that, you know, by the time you reach your retirement age and, you know, that's it, you know, collect the pension, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I see this in a lot, uh, sometimes in my family members as well, in terms of how they would think. And I think the mindset is a very powerful, you have to lead with that for everything in life. And without a really strong foundation, it's not really going to carry you through. And I teach people, uh, you know, I also use a car analogy as well is, you know, if you think of your body as the car and your mind as a driver, it's like, well, if you don't have a strong mind, like a strong driver, you know, it, it, the car's not going anywhere, you know what I'm saying? So it's, um, uh, it's very important to teach that kind of mindset. And, um, and it gives a lot of people, different options or at least a different perspective of looking at things. So I think another important piece to, to layer in with this too is um, so I will often say to patients, I'm an optimizer, not a hacker. And, and what I mean by that is, is when true healing happens, it happens in incremental stages and, you know, it's, it's not this, quick fix approach. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I will often, you know, tell people sleep is the best example of this, you know, like when we make subtle changes with our sleep, it's not like we wake up the next day and we're suddenly feeling like, wow, that changed my life. But what I notice with sleep is, you know, I make subtle changes with my sleep and, you know, gradually I wake up a little bit more energetic each day. And suddenly I'm like, wow, I am waking up every day um, with a level of vibrancy I haven't experienced in a while. And it, I think it's important to have that conversation um, because I think, you know, and I once had a patient say, say to me related to the fact that I, I stopped eating gluten, like, well, you just stopped cold Turkey. And I was like, no, I didn't. And, uh, you know, I had to explain my story. Like, you know, it, it, it changed, it was incremental changes that got me here. And, um, I often, have you read James clear at all atomic habits? Oh, I've heard of that. That's on my list. It's a great book, but he tells a story um, that I use a lot. I was familiar with the story before I read the book, but since I've read the book, I sometimes just people direct people there. So um, the British cycling team, One Degree of Change. Are you familiar with the story? Mm-mm, but you should definitely share. Um, so in 2003, the British cycling team had never, ever won a Tour de France. And I think at that point they had maybe won like 
won Olympic gold or something. It, it, they had had pretty dismal success in terms of winning. Um, and so they hired um, Sir Richard Brailsford, who actually was, was kind of a business guy, but he also was an amateur cyclist. And they hired him to be their performance director. And, you know, his assessment of the team was that they weren't necessarily bad, but they didn't, they lacked an edge. And so what he implemented with the team was we are going to look at everything from lifestyle to mechanics to training and anything that improves our output and our performance by as much as 1%, we're going to adopt that. And so that was 2003. So in 2008, they dominated the Olympics. I think they took 60% of the golds. And um, in 2012, they broke a number of records. I think it might've been nine. And they also, they won the Tour de France that year. And then they won it in 2013, 2015, 16, and 17. So in six years, they won five Tour de France's. And I share that story because I think it's, it's a really good analogy for what happens with health. It's, it's not about like, I'm going to feel amazing tomorrow. It's great when that happens, but it's often more about this gradual transition. Um, and this is also why sometimes I feel like tracking is important because we can look back and say, oh, that's where I was a year ago. And here's mm -hmm. where I am today. And as opposed to yesterday, I felt this way. And today I feel this way. Um, so I use that story a lot just mm. to highlight the long-term gain. Um, you wouldn't believe how many times when I've been uh, pitching, uh, teaching a webinar or something where people say like, it's so hard to sell the long-term. You need to s sell the short-term yeah. instant gratification. Yeah. And, and I get that, you know, it's the way our society is. It's the way our culture is. Mm. Um, but, you know, I actually think we need to have more conversations about what the British cycling team is doing. You know, it wasn't. So 2003, they started this. 2008, they had a monumental year. That's five years. Yeah. Um, we need that kind of patience. Yeah, definitely. And you can't really teach that. It's really you have to possess it or learn to adopt it or you know it just you know just kind of falls off by the wayside so um but yeah thank you for sharing that and i'll definitely um you know atomic habits is definitely on my list so um so this has been great i love to close out and uh, one of my favorite questions to ask my guests is you know two-part question uh first part is you know, how do you personally thrive? You know, we talked a lot about, you know, your work, how you came to be um, and what you're doing right now. Um, but I think getting to the core of why someone gets up in the morning, what pushes them forward, what lights are fire um, is really important to highlight um, and also to share with, um, you know, our audience members. And then the second uh, part of the question is, you know, what are three tips that you could get you know, people right now that are listening to improve their health from a Chinese medical perspective. I'm kind of going to answer this together um, because they're kind of related for me. Like, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of thriving, you know, I, I absolutely believe we need to, well, for me personally, I, I 
need to be living out my purpose every day. Um, I want to live a passion filled life. I want to go to work every day and love what I do. And I do that in my work. Um, I believe in the power of educating people about how to live healthier lives. And um, that is incredibly rewarding for me. And then I also, in terms of how I thrive physically has a lot to do with some of the same tips. So I'll share them. You know, the first one is, you know, I think human beings are meant to be, we're connected beings, you know, we're meant to connect with our community. um, And we're also meant to be connected with nature. So, you know, what does that look like? So that people say connect with nature all the time. And, and, you know, I live in New York city. So what does that really look like if I live in New York city? Um, so it's some, connecting with nature sometimes is as simple as, you know, eating whole food nutrition that's sort of native to your climate. You know, what does nature give you in your climate and what are those plants and how do you, how do you access them in their wholest form. Um, and, you know, also I live on Prospect Park. I am, even though I live in New York City, I am in nature at least twice a day, you know, and, and that really grounds me. It connects me every morning. I walk my dog and, you know, it's, it's a meditational experience for me. Like I don't take my phone. I, I literally focus on, you know, what am I feeling with my senses? And um, we know from research, particularly research that they've done in Japan, that time in nature um, really helps to dampen stress and anxiety, but it also really helps to reset us. And I think that's a critical part of, for me, how I can thrive in New York City is the, the connection I have with food and nature. Um, I also think one other way to connect with nature is, is to really observe that, you know, we as humans are not separate from nature and we're not separate from the clock cycles. So, you know, there, there's an ideal time for us to wind down and there's an ideal time for us to get up and our cortisol and melatonin cycles match up with the sun. And there's a reason for that. And so I try to stay as connected to that as possible. Mm -hmm. So another one for me is, um, movement, you know, when, and movement, uh, not only is it good at keeping me healthy, but it also is really wonderful for me when I get stuck. So I I mentioned earlier, I cycle, I practice yoga, I hike. Um, I tell people when it comes to movement, when it comes to physical activity, find things that you love. Find things that excite you. I, I worked with this one patient and she was a division one college athlete and she graduated from college and um, the sport that she did really wasn't available to her anymore. And so she became a marathon runner hmm. and she told me, she said, I hate running. <laughs> I run so I can eat. <laughs> it was actually what she told me. And, you know, we did a lot of work together because she was actually using acupuncture more to treat symptoms. You know, she's like, I'm here so that I can keep running so that I can keep eating whatever I want. 
And, but gradually over time we worked together and we started to identify other things that she could do for movement that actually um, lit her up more. And then it became less of a focus on, um, I'm running so I can eat these foods because then she also got reconnected to eating eating to thrive as opposed to eating just because it was filling a void in her life. Um, so yeah, I think those are my three big tips is uh, be passionate about something mm-hmm. and, and cultivate that um, whether it's, you know, your art, your music, your work um, move and find movement that you enjoy doing and um, you know, stay connected to you know, fellow humans, your community, as well as the the place you live from the perspective of nature and food. Awesome. Yeah, that was beautifully said. Um, and uh, thank you so much for taking the time out. Um, if people that are listening in that want to reach out to you or look up, you know, your work, how can they reach you? So definitely through my website, Ronald Pratt acu.com that's r-o-n-a-l-d-p-r-a-t-t dot a-c-u dot com you know if people are also interested in the tracking form that i use with patients um they can actually get that on my website ronaldprattacu.com slash tracking form and um you know i blog regularly i am on Facebook. I do a lot of Facebook lives. I committed to my patients. I would do Facebook live every Friday for the quarantine as a way to stay in touch. So I do that. Um, I'm not as uh, active on some of the other platforms. So probably the best place is my website and Mm -hmm. um, Facebook. Okay. Excellent. Well, guys, definitely check them out if you want to have uh, things addressed from a different perspective and and needing to get a deeper understanding of where your health and overall well-being um, is at. So definitely, you know, search them out. Um, I'll definitely include that in the show notes. Uh, Ron, thank you so much for taking the time out and sharing your story uh, with us today on today's show. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's my pleasure as well. Guys, thank you so much for listening in. If you like this, please share, follow, and subscribe. And if you feel that this podcast brings you a value, please share it with a fellow human being. We will see you on the next one. Hey, guys, that was another episode of Thrive Bites. If you like that episode, please subscribe and follow for new episodes. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcasts.